to see you in church today. I'm glad you came out on this time change Sunday. I hope you wasn't mad that you got an extra hour to sleep or lay in bed or whatever. But anyway, I'm glad you're here. We're in the book of Colossians, working our way through that. And next week I'll be in chapter 3. But right now I want to hang out just a little bit longer in chapter 2 of Colossians. You know what, I, I, you remember uh, in school, uh, in, uh, well, really, I think in, uh, probably happened in middle school, I think, I started uh, looking around and thinking, hmm, I wonder what I, I start, in elementary school, I didn't think so much about it, but in middle school, I started thinking, who do I want to hang out with? Who do I want to be my friends? And whose friend do I want to be with, you know? And middle school, it may have been one of those times, too, that I'm thinking, you know what, I, I, am I going to be an athlete? I've always thought I'd be an athlete, and then it was proven I was not an athlete. <laughs> I mean, well, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll be in this group over here, or maybe I'll be in this group. In reality, middle school, you start trying to find your identity, you know, as to here's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be a class clown, or I'm going to be this, or I'm going to be that, whatever. And, he, and, and you go on, and then you become a senior in high school, and the big question is, what do you want to do? Where are you going to go? What college are you going to go to? What do you want to be in life? And, you know, you got to dream up something, you know, and uh, well, I want to be, I want to go into space. I'm going to be a rocket man, or I want to do that, whatever. I don't know what it is, but a lot of times people who, you feel obligated to give an answer, and some people are just settled, this is what I'm going to be, this is who I'm going to be, so on, and then there's others, they just don't know. And those who don't know, leave them alone, okay, leave them alone. I didn't know what I wanted to do until yesterday, so anyway, leave them alone. But they're all just searching for identity. And the book of Colossians kind of zeroes in on our identity, who we are in Christ. And in Colossians chapter 1, we talked about this last week in verse 27. It says, To them God willed uh, to make known what the riches of his glory, this mystery among the Gentiles, which is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. That should help settle the, who we are in Christ. Christ in you. Christ in you. And it's not just Christ in you, but you also read and you see, not only am I in Christ, but Christ, Christ in me, Christ, I'm in Christ, Christ in God. It just goes on and on. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm really surrounded by God. I, I got a little, I saw this the other day. And I'm thinking, well, maybe this will help, help uh, and, and illustrate what I'm trying to want to say. Here I am, just an old tattered box. <laughs> but here, here's you, here's you. And when you become a Christian, when you follow Christ as your personal Savior, what happens is, here's, here's Christ, and Christ is in you. So here, here's what happens. Christ comes in. He lives inside of you. And so there you are. There you are. You, Christ in you. But then I read over in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5 and verse 17. It says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So wait a minute, Christ in me, but I'm also in Christ. Oh man, this is really something. This is really getting good then. And so there I am. I'm a uh, Christ. <laughs> so 
Christ in me. I'm in Christ. But it gets better because over in John, listen to the way I got it. Jesus is speaking, and, and Jesus says this over in John 14. I am in the Father. You're in me, and I'm in you. I go, what? What does this look like? Well, this is what this looks like. This is this is this right here, then it has to be, this has to be God. And guess what? Jesus is in God. And and wow, this is this is crazy. And I'm thinking, where am I in there? I'm right in the middle. I'm surrounded by God. And so are you. And this is who you are. In Christ, Christ in you, you in Christ, you're, and we're all in God. I'm thinking, how awesome can that be? And the reason this is so important because the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may, be, may devour. If you're going to devour me, devil, you got to get through God, you got to get through Jesus. And it's not going to happen. But yet, he, in the first two chapters of Colossians, he keeps... Hitting home, Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in you. I've said there earlier that first two chapters of Colossians, he talks about doctrine. Really, the only doctrine that he's dealing with is this. Jesus Christ is God, and God's in you, and you're in him. That's the only doctrine he's dealing with. And if we can settle that in our hearts and our minds, that Christ in us, then you know we're a step ahead of the game. And he says this for a reason. Chapter 2, verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For, he, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So he tells us this, and he keeps hitting this home because the very far, first part of there, beware lest anyone uh, cheat you. Anyone cheat you or anyone take you captive. He said, I don't want you to be taken captive. I don't want you to follow a bunch of lies. I want you to be discerning. He says, but you are apt to be deceived if you don't guard your ground, guard your ground. It's sort of like somebody told me one time, they said, listen, you're either planting or gardening. You know, you plant a garden and you plant a garden, you just don't leave it. That's just the beginning, right? You plant the garden, then you got to guard it because those varmints, they come around, they like to eat those things, especially when it's starting to bud up and, you know, you got little blooms and things and these deer come in and then all these other things come in and, and eat up what you've planted. So you're either gardening or you're guard, guarding. And he says, I want you to be on guard. And then you go back to a verse earlier that we read last week in verse 7. It says, rooted, build up in him. And we said that meant that we would need to be grounded in our faith. Grounded as to who we are. It kind of reminds me of over uh, in, uh, well, it, it's uh, Psalms. And uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. I don't know if I put Psalms in here today. Here it is. <laughs> You're waiting, aren't you? Anticipation. Anticip anyway, 
Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, listen what it says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And then listen, and he shall be planted by the river, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. Listen, if we're grounded, if we're planted, and we're taking on nourishment, we're grounded, you know what's going to happen? Growth. You can't stop it. You put a tree out there that's a fruit tree, and it's well planted, and it's getting the right type of nourishment. You cannot say, hey, tree, don't bring no fruit this year. I don't want any. He says, sorry, I'm a tree, and I'm well planted, and I, it's just part of who I am. I'm bringing forth fruit. He likens that to the believer. You and I, if we're grounded and really grounded in this fact that I am in Christ and Christ in me and Christ and we are in God, I am getting grounded. And this automatically is going to happen. What's that? We're going to automatically produce fruit. What's that fruit? Well, I'm going to be able to do more. I'm going to be able to. No, it's not doing more. It's just allowing fruit to happen in your life. And it happens through Galatians chapter 5. And it gives us the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, gentleness or faithfulness. Self-control. These are wonderful things. It's not like, well, you know, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm maturing, so, uh, you know, more is expected of me, and I need to be sure I'm the policeman now of Christianity. You're not the policeman of nothing. Nothing. You're a believer in Christ. You're a follower of Christ. And allow Christ to live through you. And you, listen, you don't have to try to produce fruit. It just automatically happens because you're grounded in Christ. And the more mature you become in Christ by loving his word, studying his word, here's what's going to happen. Little buds start blooming, you know, little flowers and things. And then the fruit. And the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. You can't stop it. You just can't stop it. So he starts out by saying, listen, I want you to avoid captivity. And the way you avoid captivity is to make sure you're grounded in your belief. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about him? And I'm going to tell you why, because next, look at the next verse there. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you or take you captive through philosophy and, and empty deceit according to the what? Tradition of who? Men, church, look at me. Are you with me here? Am I speaking to a blank wall? Hang, hang out with me just for a minute, all right? It is unbelievable. How, and he, says, he says, listen, I don't want you to be deceived through vain philosophy. Not, now, there's nothing wrong with philosophy in and of itself, but it's the world of philosophy that you have to contend with. He says, because the worldly philosophy is also brings in the tradition of men. You know, we all grew up in different churches, and the traditions of churches sometimes, I'm thinking, why they do that? Sometimes, you know, when you're in a church at a certain time for a long period of time, the church I grew up in, I, I was thinking about this this morning, we had some traditions. We kind of get in our comfort zone, and these things are acceptable, and these things are not acceptable. It's almost like, yes, we love God's Word, but we've also got another little book over here unwritten of things you need to be doing and don't do. It's called Tradition of Men. I remember my hair was a little bit longer. I know it's hard to believe, but yes. 
It's a little longer than it is now when I was in school, high school. I always sit over on the right side. And one time the preacher, he was preaching, and all of a sudden he looked at me. He goes, somebody would just need to get a haircut because you look like a girl like that. And I'm thinking, now I wonder who's talking to. <laughs> and everybody, as soon as he said that, we go, like that. I'm just saying, why do you say that? But, I mean, preachers sometimes say some things that are just kind of crazy. I know because I've done it, you know. But it's just because, well, because now you're a Christian and this is the way you ought to look. I mean, I remember a time that tattoos, they were taboo, right? And now, hey, listen, I'm thinking they're not. As a matter of fact, I got one yesterday. You want to see it? <laughs> but it's the thing, we, what we think about, well, you're a Christian? D.L. Moody was a pastor of years gone and he, he loved Charles Spurgeon, but he had never got an opportunity to just to meet him and talk to him a little bit. So he was in London where Charles Spurgeon was a pastor, and he went and knocked on his door. And, and of all things, Charles Spurgeon answered the door. And when he answered the door, he had a big cigar in his mouth. D.L. Moody stepped back and says, oh, excuse me. He goes, what, what, what's wrong, son? He goes, Christians don't smoke cigars. He says, I'm surprised you being a pastor the way you are, smoking a cigar. He stepped up to D.L. Moody because D.L. Moody was kind of robust and he patted him on the stomach because Christians don't look like that either. <laughs> Where do we get what we do? Where is it we come to and say, you know what? Yes, I believe in Jesus, but there's something extra that we need to be doing so that we look the part and we act the part. You want to act the part? Love Jesus. You want, to, you want to look and act the part? Dig into the Word of God and get to know Him and allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow through you. Another thing about Christian maturity, everybody's not on the same level of maturity. You know, this tree was planted this year and this tree was planted this year and this tree was planted this year. We're all different stages of our, of our Christian walk. But we got to be careful because of the philosophy and the traditions of men because they have nothing to do with Christ and really being Christian. But there's some things that we hear that we say, well, you know, that's plausible. In other words, that's reasonable what I just heard. In other words, somebody said to me, says, you know what? It doesn't matter really what we believe. We're all going to the same place. We're just on different roads on how we get there. Oh, that seems reasonable, plausible. No, it's not. No, it's not. He goes on and says this. Look what he says. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know what that's saying? It says Jesus is God. He is deity. In him, he is God. Well, not everybody believes that. Not everybody believes that. The Mormons don't believe that Jesus is God. The Mormons believe that, oh, yes, we acknowledge there is a Jesus, but he's not God. Islam does not believe Jesus is God. They don't believe that. And they, they acknowledge Jesus. They acknowledge, yes, there was a man. His name was Jesus. And, and they acknowledge all kinds of things about it. But to say that Jesus is God, no, he's not God. He's not God. Jehovah's Witness, they don't believe that. And I call those out because they're just false religions. They're, they teach false doctrine. You know, I can't believe you said it. I said it. I've said it. Because the important thing is here, 
that you say, well, you know, these people are really good people. And they are good people. They're, I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm just saying that their doctrine is not right. When you ignore or refuse to believe that Jesus is God, you've, you've gone to another direction. And he says, listen, I don't want you to be deceived and I don't want you to be held captive through false philosophy false tra- or tradition of men or false doctrine. Yes or no, church? I think that we need to avoid captivity and to believe that everyone who calls on the name of God is going to go to heaven. Those are going to go to heaven. Acknowledge that Jesus is God. Acknowledge that Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived on this earth. At 33 years old, he died on the cross to pay the payment of sin. And the sin was laid on him. He died. He was buried. He arose again from the dead, lived victorious. He gives us an opportunity to put our faith and trust in him. And for by, by, by grace, you're saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's not the gift. It's not of works, lest anybody should boast. And so many people, they say, Yes, this is right. We believe God. But maybe we ought to add this. And in the rest of this passage of Scripture, you're going to see the people in Colossians, they say, why don't we add something to that? Let's really drive home and see how committed you are to Christ. Let's add to it. Let's add to it. Listen, you and I are complete in Him. Complete in him. Remember, he says that in verse 10. And you are complete in him who is that Jesus, who is what? The head of all principality and power. All principality. If Jesus is not God, if Jesus is not eternal, if Jesus is not co equal with the Father, then we need to stop looking to him as our Savior. But he is our Savior because he is God. And he is victorious over sin, death, and the grave. He is. He is. Jesus is God, and Jesus is enough. Hallelujah. We've been printing portions of S.M. Lockridge in our bulletin, and today's the day's part of his sermon says, he's the, and talking about Jesus now, don't be confused. He's talking about Jesus. He is the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and tried. He sympathizes and he saves He's the almighty God who guides and keeps all his people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and beautifies the meek. He's my king. He is Jesus. He is Jesus. Don't be confused as to who he is. And don't be held captive 
because of some tradition of man or some false philosophy or something that says, boy, that sure does sound nice. So with that in mind, I think that we need to do a couple of things. One, we need to acknowledge the victory that he's given us. Acknowledge the victory. He says, I want you to know who Christ is and that we are complete in him. He's in you, you in him, we're in God. Acknowledge that because of so many things going on. Acknowledge the victory. And one of the things is this, that in verse 11, we're going to read that every ceremony has been completed. Every ceremony. Look at verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made with hand, without hands. Without, without hands. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You know, circumcision was a covenant between the Jew and God. It was an outward symbol. Jesus was saying to them, this is an outward symbol, but it represents something that has happened that I desire to ha see happen in your heart. It didn't work because the Jew continued to turn against or turn away from God. And he says, it's no longer required of you, fellas. You guys, you guys listen, I was talking about your heart. But you have made it something to, to say, well, listen, if you, followed, if you followed through circumcision, then you know what? You must be a devoted follower of God. And it was the furthest thing from the truth. God was saying, I'm not looking for an outward sign in you, fellas. I'm looking for, I'm looking for something that has to do with the heart. The heart. And this is a picture of what Christ has done in our heart. He has circumcised our heart. It's internal. It's transformational. And these false doctrine teachers coming into the church of Colossae said, well, you know what? I do believe in Jesus and all, but if you really want to be a committed follower of Jesus, then this is what you'll do. And it's hogwash. It's not what you ought to do. We are circumcised with Christ. That means our hearts have been cleansed from sin. He says, so listen, he says, I want you to understand that every ceremony that God ever laid down in the Old Testament, first of all, you and I need to realize who was it to? Was it to you? It was to the Jewish, Jewish nation. Another thing is, in the Old Testament, what's different between that and now? And here it is, the cross. The cross is the difference. Verse 12, buried with him by bapt in baptism in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So the second thing is this. This is a symbol. Baptism is a symbol of what Christ did. Baptism betrays what happened internally in my heart and yours as well. And when Christ died, I died with him. When Christ was buried, I was buried with him. When Christ was raised in newness of life, hallelujah, I was raised in newness of life as well. For by grace I've been saved through faith in Christ Jesus. It's a picture. It's, me it's a metaphor. 
Here's what happened inside you. But there's a lot of, there's not a lot. There's people who would say, well, you must be baptized to, to, as part of salvation. You don't see that in Ephesians 2. You don't see that in Romans 8, 9, 10. You don't see that anywhere there. But he does tell us in, in the uh, Great Commission, going to all the world, make disciples, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a picture of what Christ has done for you and I. It's like this wedding ring I'm wearing. This wedding ring does not make me married. You know, it doesn't make any of you married. This wedding ring is a symbol of what had happened there that, that I have made a commitment to someone, Renee. She's wearing a ring too, aren't you? But anyway, I'm thinking... <laughs> I just thought of it, so maybe I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, I'm just saying, you know, when people see that ring, they know this. He's married. He's married. It's identification. Yes? Yeah. I've been identified. I've been identified as someone who is married, who's made a commitment to someone else. My wife, who's now my wife, Renee. Baptism is a symbol. It's identification. And when you walk into the water and you're buried in the water and you're walking into the water... It represents the death. Uh, being lowered into the water is a picture of, of the burial. And then being raised up out of the water is a picture of the resurrection. It's a picture. It's an identification. It's a symbol. And uh, we, we who are saved, been born again, we need to be obedient in this. God gave us two ordinances. The first one was baptism. The second was was the Lord's Supper. And and baptism is for the believer. Baptism is a symbol. Baptism is an outward act of what's occurred in the heart. And it's a commitment that we are telling the world, you know what, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of Christ. And I'm willing to follow him. I'm willing to be obedient. So we work our way through this and... and um, you know, it's, it's just one of these things that I believe that, that sometimes we get, we kind of get uh, tied down with and held back with. And, and it just goes back to the fact that we need to be committed, just be committed. The next thing, though, in verse 14, uh, every requirement that has been laid on us uh, before Christ, before the cross, has been depleted. You see, it says in verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it uh, out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What is that? I believe it's the law. Now, the law uh, it was just a bunch of, uh, a whole lot of um, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. The law was never intended to save us. The law was intended to awaken us to our unrighteousness. The law was intended to awaken us and show us our need of a Savior. The law was a mirror. It was to reflect who we really are. Does that make sense? Almost every bathroom in America probably has a mirror in it. And you get up early in the morning, you got the sleep in your eyes, you're barely able to stand up, you shuffle your way to the bathroom, and you open the door, you turn the lights on, you look in the mirror and you go, oh my, you need help. I've got my work cut out for me, I should have gotten up earlier. 
Listen, the law does the same thing. The law is not there to save you. The law is a mirror to show you who you really are and to show you that you need help. You need a Savior because you're not going to be able to do it on your own. Does that make sense, church? I pray that it does. The law is there to help us. Paul said, the law is not bad. He says, if it were not for the law, I would have not known sin. I would have not known that my need, I had this need. And look what he did with it, though. See, what happened is, because of that sin, you and I are laid with a bill. We are laid with a debt. And it's a debt that we could not pay. And that verse 14 tells us that he took that debt and he nailed it to the cross. He took my debt. He took my sin. He took my guilt. And he's nailed it to the cross. Nailed it to the cross. The last thing I want to mention to you is verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, uh, over them in it. Every enemy has been defeated. Every enemy. Jesus dealt Satan and sin a death blow. And he made a public spectacle of them the day he arose from the dead. He has delivered us from Satan. He has delivered us from the demons of hell. Satan and the demons of hell have no claim on us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Why? How has that happened? Look at the box. And just think what the demons have to come through to get to me. I am a child of God. And a child of God cannot be possessed with the devil or any demon. Do you hear me? You cannot. It cannot happen. However, I do believe, well, it's sort of like I mentioned this a while ago, that C.S. Lewis says, when it comes to demons and, and uh, the devil, it says, everything bad happens to me is either demonic or nothing happens to me is demonic. You know, it's kind of either here or here. And you know what? Things happen, bad things happen to us. Sometimes bad things happen to us because of the choices that we make. Is that not true? Absolutely it's true. But sometimes also bad things are we sense an evil spirit around us. Sometimes we invite those evil spirits or we invite Satan into our homes. And, and I don't have to, through addictions, yeah, I believe that. I believe you're inviting the devil into your home when, you, when there's evil addictions or bad addictions in there. Through, your, through our tablets or our computer or our TV, the things we watch, we're inviting him to come in. We're not inviting him to, he's not going to take possession of me, but he can have influence in our house and our home. And, and you know what? Why would we do that? Why? Why would we open that up to, to allow any influence from Satan and de the devil into my into our lives, and I think this that that we we talk about these things and we say, well, you know what? I'm comfortable in my Christianity, and you may be you may be really comfortable where you are, and and I'm speaking this today one because it's truth, but the other thing is I want you to get out of your comfort zone, and I want you to open your eyes a little bit more to what's going on around you, and I want you to think a little bit more. 
about when people talk to you about God or talk to you about salvation. And I want you to think a little bit more about the tradition of man and even the tradition of the church. Is, am I doing things that are pleasing to God or am I doing things pleasing to man? You know, or is this a man rule or is this a, a God rule? And I believe God has some rules, but sometimes we get them kind of fuzzy. And, I, and the bottom line, I think what Paul was saying through the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Colossians is this. It is an insult to God to add anything to what Christ has already done and completed. Do you remember what it says? It is an insult to God to add anything to what God has done and what God has already completed. When he said it is finished, leave it alone. It is finished. And there's some basic truth principles in God's word that we need to take our hands off of and say, thus saith the Lord. And I'm not going to add anything to that. And I'm not going to take anything from that. My salvation is not dependent upon me. My salvation is dependent on what Christ has already done. Now I'm reaching for my phone because I, I was doing this the other day, uh, probably yesterday, and, and, and I don't know why, but this, this song came to mind, and, and I, it's just an old song. It says, the old account was settled long ago. Well, there was a time on earth when the books, uh, in the books of heaven, that an old account was standing for sin yet unforgiven. My name was at the top. There were many things below, but I went to the keeper and I settled it long ago. Long ago, yes, long ago. I said the old account is settled long ago. And my record's clear today. He washed my sins away. And the old account was settled long ago. Long ago, long ago. The old account was settled long ago. I am so grateful for that. I was nine years old when I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. Uh, Katrina, how old were you when you accepted Christ? Eight years old. Isn't that something? Carver, how old were you when you accepted Christ? Sixteen years old. Isn't that something? I'm, I'm just saying, when you settled the account, eight, sixteen, nine years old, you know what? Just whenever you are tempted thinking, well, maybe I need to do this. No, you don't. You cannot do anything to please God to save you other than, here I am, Lord, save me. Here I am. I have nothing to offer but my heart and nothing, nothing I can add to that. But don't take anything from that. Amen? I am saved. I'm forgiven. And you know what? I pray that you and I would be the follower of Christ that he wants us to be. And that when, when that happens, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be a producer of fruit. You're going to be fruit-bearing. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, self-control. That's who you're going to be, and that's who you are. That's who you are. I'm just asking God, please, please, God, help us and not entertain additional thoughts, additional ideas that add to what you've already completed in our lives. Father, I pray now. Thanking you, Lord, for the day and asking God that you would help us, watch over us. 
I pray, Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that the old account's been settled long ago. I don't have to add anything to it. I don't have to follow the law. I'm grateful for that. I can't do that. Nobody can. I'm thankful, Lord, that I don't have to go through some ritual. There's no ritual I need to do. Lord, I just think I can take you at your word. I can trust, I trust in you by faith. You saved me, and I thank you for it. I ask God that if there's someone here today that does not know you as their personal Savior, Lord, that today might be the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our lives. And Lord, if there's someone here depending on something else other than Jesus to be saved, God, I pray that you would direct their thoughts toward your word and toward you. If you've never been saved, you'd like to be saved, you can be saved right where you are. By saying, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life? I've sinned against you. I confess my sin, and I need a Savior. Lord, I trust you by faith. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you forgive sins. And Lord, I ask you to do that for me today. If you've been saved and never been baptized, we're going to have a baptism real soon. And if you'd like to be baptized, I want you to come down and talk to Tyler or Brian in just a second. Just tell them, say, I want to put my name on that list to be baptized. Remember, it's identification. It's identification. It's the wedding ring saying, here's what's happened inside of me. Or maybe you'd like to join our church. This is an opportunity for you to do so this morning. Maybe you'd just like to come and pray. You sit on this front row or kneel at the front, this front row here. Whatever it is that God's leading you to do, will you be obedient? Will you be obedient? I pray you will. I pray you will. Would you stand with me? Father, once again, I just ask that, you're, that you would move among us and guide us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.